Welcome to the Like a Bigfoot podcast. I'm your host, Chris Ward. On this week's show, we are chatting with a man named Jackson Foster, who is in the midst of riding his bike from the wilderness of Alaska all the way down through Canada, through Pacific Northwest, stopping, pausing for a second in Los Angeles, which is where we catch up with him, all the way down to the southernmost part of South America. So he's on an adventure. And I've been thinking a lot about adventure this week, and I know what you're thinking. You're thinking to yourself, yeah, Chris, we've listened to your show before. It's about adventures. Which is true. Um, But what is the essence of an adventure? And I really think after listening to Jackson's stories, and you can find him, uh, all of his stuff is plantriotic. He does a video every single day on YouTube. So if you're interested after listening to his story, if you're interested in following the rest of his journey, make sure you're looking him up on YouTube. That's plant and patriotic combined. So plantriotic. Um, I guess I should spell it, huh? P-L-A-N-T-R-I-O-T-I-C. That was, <laughs> that was a lot harder at the end of a work day than you would imagine. Um, but I really think after talking to him that his story really encompasses my idea and my definition of an adventure. And what I've realized lately is that an adventure is when you set out to do something and it's you're expecting the unexpected and i know that's something we've all heard where it's like expect the unexpected but until you actually go out and challenge yourself and push yourself and legitimately just step off the beaten path and try something new you don't you can hear those words but you don't really embrace the spirit behind those words Um, once you're on an adventure, you're stepping off into the great unknown. You don't know what's around the corner. You don't know what the next day is going to bring. You don't know what amazing, amazing events that are going to pop up in your life because of this adventure. And you also don't know just the, just the unbelievably harsh obstacles that are going to, you're going to have to overcome. It's a complete adventure. It's a blank slate. And I think Jackson has really embodied that idea. Um, He's bike toured all around the world. He's bike toured across the United States. He's bike toured in a bunch of different countries, which he'll talk about. Um, This one definitely being kind of the most epic of his adventures. And I was trying to find a better word, but epic (laughs) applies there. Um, You know, going all the way from the northernmost part of North America to the southernmost part of South America, all powered by your own muscles, your own feet, your own ideas. That's the definition of an adventure. Um, And I think there's something in this conversation that Jackson's learned, and he's shared a lot of wisdom Uh, He shares a lot of wisdom and you got to imagine when you're alone by yourself for weeks at a time and you'll hear in the story, he's not by himself all of the time. You know, he's social, he socializes and things like that. But I mean, 
when he's on his bike, he's alone. No one else is around. Just him and his thoughts. You learn a lot about yourself. You get all of that time for self-exploration. And I feel like we need that time. I feel like that's one of the reasons why I sign up for a really hard event is that I need that time for self-exploration, self-realizations. Um, and lately, I, signed, I think I mentioned in the last podcast, I signed up for this multi-day stage race called Desert Rats. And it's a six-day event. And up until this point, the events I've done have all been single days. And they've been long single days where they've taken, you know, 10, 12 hours. But uh, but nothing of this proportion. And so that mixed with talking to a couple friends who are also planning their own multi-day quests um, has really got me thinking, you know, how am I going to handle that? What am I going to learn about myself? What can I expect should I just not expect anything? <laughs> you know, should I just expect the unexpected going in? Um, and so it's really fascinating to me to talk to somebody who, you know, this event that he's about to do is going to take him probably a few years and it's taking a significant time. What do you learn about yourself? How do you change in that period of time? It's really fascinating to me. So anyways, I hope you guys enjoy the conversation. I hope you learn a lot from Jackson. Like I said, his stuff is called Plantriotic. He has a podcast. Uh, he takes pictures of yummy food on Instagram. <laughs> um, and he has his own YouTube channel that is really excellent, really kind of encapsulated, encapsulates his day-to-day and kind of puts it into about a a 10-minute clip for you to view. So yeah, check that stuff out. Uh, if you guys enjoy this episode, Make sure you check out the rest of our episodes. Uh, you can look us up, Like a Bigfoot Podcast, on on iTunes, on SoundCloud. And you can find our website, likeabigfoot.com. And then we are Like a Bigfoot on all the social media stuff. Reach out. If you got a good story, reach out to me. I'd love that. I'd love to hear it. Um, yeah, anyways, we'll get right into the episode. So thank you so much, Jackson Foster, for joining the show. And uh, let's get it started. Okay, uh, this week we're talking to Jackson Foster. Um, So welcome to the show, man. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm excited. I was so intrigued by the title of your podcast name. And, you know, I went, I I rode through Bigfoot Country a couple months ago up in Northern California. So uh, I'm excited to talk to you, man. I love what you're doing and you've had some awesome guests. So excited to pick each other's brains. Yeah, man. Well, I will. I would consider what you have just returned from to be like the most like a Bigfoot thing you could possibly do. So what? Dude, that's an honor. <laughs> um, yeah, man. So I kind of. I want to start just by asking you um, the name of your, you know, your YouTube channel, your website, your podcast is uh, Plantriotic. So can you kind of give us some background? Like, what's the origin of that name? For sure. I'd love to tell the story. So I was 19 years old and I was on a gap year in between, you know, high school and starting college. I had the privilege in my life to take that time to go travel the world for a year and work some jobs and just explore things out of my comfort zone that, you know, I didn't get from my high school education growing up here in the middle of Los Angeles to a family who's rooted in business and Hollywood. And, you know, I never went 
camping or went out traveling beyond just cities, but it's always been uh, within my heart. I love animals. I love nature. So I took this year off before starting college. And the first thing I did on that gap year was I decided to ride my bike across America. I had no experience <laughs> cycling. Uh, I also didn't know what like the middle of my country looked like because I was in this ridiculous like LA bubble. So I was like, that'd be a good way to learn. So I biked across America in like 80 days and it was just totally blew my mind and opened up my consciousness and got me started with how I live my life now, just being obsessed with this vehicle, the bicycle as a means of transportation to see the world. But one thing that really pissed me off during that trip was I assumed that we were going to see all these like farms and all this sustainability, but like growing fruits and vegetables for humans to eat and small town stuff. But really what I saw was that so much of our country was just, you know, corn and soy fields for animal agriculture and for high fructose corn syrup. And the people that were supposed to be living these rural lives couldn't even eat the food that they were growing. And so that's kind of when my vegan journey started and I got really into plant-based nutrition and also animal rights, but also just sustainable farming in general. And one day after that trip, uh, I was on my bicycle back here in Los Angeles doing some errand and I was thinking, hey, you know, I might want to start a YouTube channel or a podcast <laughs> or a website yeah. where I can where I can just share my thoughts as a young teenager entering college in the world about like, you know, just how I'm perceiving life. And I wasn't even fully vegan at the time, but I knew I wanted to get into food. And so many people were patriotic as I biked across America, everyone with their flags. And I was thinking, like, what does it mean to be patriotic? And to me, it meant being like the best steward and representative of your land and country, but also planet and beyond, because we're really just global human citizens here to, you know, connect with each other and try to preserve Mother Earth, hopefully, in the best that we can. And so I was like, okay, patriotic, a lot of Americans can get behind that. They want to do the best for their country. And eating plant-based is like right now, what, what I was learning was the best way to be sustainable. So I put it together, plant-based, patriotic, boom, plantriotic. And who knows if the title is good because half the people have no idea what I'm talking about and can't even pronounce it. And then the other <laughs> half are like you, you get it right the first time and you understood. It's like patriotic and plant but I'm sticking with it, whatever. It's my identity now because that's my YouTube channel name and Instagram and podcast and all that. So that's the story. I just I, I just thought of it on a bike ride. Yeah, I was just riding through the city and I was thinking of names and just put all that together. It's funny, man, like, you know, uh, talking to p other people who have podcasts like yourself or, you know, YouTube channels or whatever, you come up with this, you have to come up with like a really cool name. And yeah. it has to be something that like sums you up and people are like, yeah, that makes sense. And I totally get it, man. That totally makes sense. And I love the story and, um, you know, something, and I, I heard you the other day on, uh, the unlock wellness podcast and you were mentioning this journey across the United States when you were 19. And the thing that really captured my imagination is you went from living in the middle of LA, which to me, I visited LA for about a week. It's it's easily the biggest city, just like it seems like it's the biggest area. It is. Know? It's so sprawled out. It definitely is. Going from the middle of LA to I think you said Virginia, uh, the countryside of Virginia. Like, 
What was that like? Mm-hmm. What was the first couple days of that journey? How did that feel? It was so wild. I felt like I was on an amusement park ride or something because <laughs> it was the exact stuff that I wanted to see, but I hadn't grown up with. You know, I grew up going to private schools and living in LA, and there's obviously so much ego and just uh, value on materialism here. LA, I don't like to hate on it too much because if you know the right spots, you know, now I know the yoga studios and the outdoor gyms and the hiking that when I visit, you know, I'm a local, so I know the areas that I can hang out. But growing up before I had like, you know, the freedom of transportation and just whatever, I, I, I got a side of LA that just so did not resonate with me, you know, people caring about their clothes and just so much materialism and ego and things that, uh, looked so ridiculous to me. Um, and so I wanted to go see what the country was really like. And yeah, it blew my mind immediately because, you know, the middle of the countryside in Virginia is just about the opposite of growing up in progressive Los Angeles. Um, so, you know, the first night I remember I, I hadn't done too much solo traveling at all in my life. Um, and the first night, you know, so I did this trip with my brother and my best friend and the three of us were both not cyclists. But, you know, we got like 30 miles in the first day and said, what do we do? There are no hotels here. Yeah. We're, we're in some little tiny town. Uh, how are we going to figure this out? <laughs> exactly. So you figure it out. And that's the beauty of bike touring. You just honor that the universe is going to provide and you have to just keep on moving with your day. So we did. We said, okay, it's getting dark out. We should probably stop biking. Here's a town. So we started biking around and we happened to find a church and there was a you know, high school volleyball game going on and there were parents coming in and out and we striked up conversations and they brought the janitor over and one thing led to another. And the first night of our trip, uh, the janitor of this mega church is letting us sleep in the 24 hour prayer room in their small town in Virginia. And that's where we slept that night. And it was really weird. And that's the beauty of bike touring. You, (laughs) you're, you're forced to go into these nooks and crannies of communities that you'd never travel to if you were traveling by car or by plane. So that's just one of the hundreds of nights that I've had biking across America, Thailand, Malaysia, Italy, Canada. You know, I've biked so many miles and I have a fun story for almost every single day of those trips. So I don't even know where to begin, but it was it, it was it was surreal to be in these small towns of a couple hundred people per town and you know, there's one little school and there's a gas station and Everyone works for the, you know, corn, uh, grain elevator. And it's just such a different, simple way of living. And not that it's how maybe I want to live as a rural Kentucky or Virginian farmer, but you can get so much wisdom from experiencing the life of people for a couple days or a couple weeks, even if it's not the life that you want to live, you're going to get so many teachings and wisdom from intruding into this community and just observing and seeing what the people are like and why their life has led them to this place you know traveling is like an education with life obviously because you're just constantly going over obstacles because you don't know where you are so um oh i love it yeah man that's uh, like the idea of growth by going into a, a new situation and just being non-judgmental or anything, but going in with an open mind, being open-minded, 
will teach you so much. It's, I can't even imagine, man. I'm sure you've had so many more experiences than I've even had. Cause I, you know, I've lived in smaller towns. I've lived in small town, Virginia. Um, and I've experienced that, but like riding through and relying on the niceness of people to get through, it, it definitely has to expand your mind. I, it, it does. Um, bike touring and traveling in general forces you to see how beautiful humans are. Um, you know, I literally knock on people's doors sometimes when I'm in extremely rural and harsh conditions, like going over the Canadian Rockies in October, which just wasn't that smart of an idea, but it's just where my path led. And on those nights, you know, I spent weeks uh, every night rolling into a tiny town of a couple hundred people and just surrendering and honoring that the only way I was going to get a place to sleep inside was to strike up a conversation with someone in town who's cleaning their car, raking leaves, uh, or knocking on doors sometimes to just say, hey, I'm a human. I'm in a, I'm in a vulnerable place right now, but I'm a really nice guy. I would love some help. And, you know, I say it a, a bit more eloquently when I knock on people's doors, but that's essentially what I'm saying. Hey, I'm on a bicycle. I just rolled into town. Uh, I'm going to probably sleep outside tonight unless you have something for me. And nine out of 10 times uh, within, you know, three door knocks, someone will let me into their home. You know, I'll offer to sleep in their backyard and camp, but people usually let me in, let me sleep on the floor, on a couch, feed me dinner. You know, if if you put yourself out there and you have good intentions, like I have no intention to hurt anyone. I just want to yeah. connect with people and share so people can read that energy off of me when I show up into their life. And usually we just have a great night together and can share about our life's experience. Hey, Buckley, we got dogs wanting to take walks. We'll go out soon. We'll go hey, out man. soon, no worries. I'm going to have a cat come in here in a little bit. Just start meowing at me. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, man, it has, has that always been your, like part of your personality? Because as someone, I, when I was growing up, I was an only child and I kind of always defined myself as being shy, even though I've realized lately I'm not shy. I'm definitely not shy, <laughs> but, but like that still sounds intimidating to me. You know, right, going into right, a town right. and not knowing anybody and then asking for, you know, yeah. kind of aid and help sounds kind of scary. Yeah, no, I was shy. I had social anxiety growing up. I hated, you know, seeing the girl at school that I had a crush on in middle school, you know, at dinner with her family. Like, I actually had a lot of anxiety around approaching people and strangers growing up, just as any shy pretty introverted person would i'm i'm fairly introverted i'm not yeah. entirely on that spectrum i enjoy hanging out with people but in small groups so i no i i, I wasn't some like extroverted uh easy to public speak type of person but i became so obsessed with exercising getting out of my comfort zone and just testing myself that you know if, if you probably looked at my communication skills uh, when I biked across America when I was 19 versus my skills now when I approach someone's door, approach someone in town, it's just over the many years and thousands of miles in countries that I've uh, practiced doing this that I now feel completely comfortable to knock on someone's door who doesn't know me and ask for help because I know I'm not going to be taking anything 
you know, significant from them. I travel with my own tent. I have my own food if I need be. I'm really just asking for like a little bit of support in exchange for me to provide you with a great story that this biker, this vegan biker who makes YouTube videos rolled into our tiny (laughs) town of 10 people. It provides them with a great story too. So a part of having the confidence to approach people like that is not feeling ashamed or guilty about what you're doing. You have to honor that if you're going out and traveling the world, you're going to inspire people that you meet. You're actually of value to other people. You're not only asking for help. If you ask someone, you're also giving back to them. And that's a whole part of the self-love message that I promote is that we now grow up in a culture where we feel bad to ask help from our brothers and sisters. How much do you love when you get the opportunity in your day to help someone out that isn't that much of a burden to you, but you see what it means to that person or animal or river or whatever, a beach cleanup. It feels so good to give back. So don't be afraid to ask people for help because as long as you're good intentions and good intentioned and don't ask for too much, you might make their day also. And that's because you are a puzzle piece that connects us all together. We are all one. You don't have to be afraid of each other. The whole point of life, I think, is to connect with each other and honor that we are just one being here to love, not to hate or divide. So um, I really live life with that mentality. And even if the people around me aren't there philosophically, it, it always feels good to help and connect. So I'm just never afraid to ask. And the only thing people can say is no. And in that case, you get to have a beautiful night in the woods. You know, it's all good. Yeah, yeah, man, that that rocks. So, you know, on your guys' trip across the U.S., your first one, I guess I'm always yeah. fascinated by like the first, you know, the very first one because it's it's the sure. moment where it is completely new to you and it is a complete outside your comfort zone thing. Um, when you were doing that trip, how often did it happen where you just weren't able to find a place to stay for the night? Yeah, I think on, um, well, you always find a place to stay because oh, yeah, you're always going to sleep. Touche. So, <laughs> yes. Yeah, but uh, I really prioritize trying to not pay for like hotels and motels, not because I want to like not contribute my money to the economy. That's not what it is at all. It's just that if you if you set your default to doing hotels or hostels, you limit yourself on being able to interact with the community. So I always try to figure out a way to camp somewhere or stay with people first. And then if that really doesn't happen and I'm in a town where there is a motel, um, especially on this first trip, you know, it was our first time bike touring. So I think in the total of 80 days, we got about 10 motels or hostels, which is just like once a week. So six nights we were either sleeping in people's houses that we met or using couch surfing apps like warm showers or couch surfing um or we stayed we slept in diners sometimes we'd like roll into a town and eat food at the diner and the waiter or waitress would just be really rad and we would convince them to like actually crash in the diner (laughs) get out in the morning that that stuff happened yeah Um, we slept in fire stations all the time we got into a habit of like looking ahead at where we're going to be that day and in the morning calling up a fire station and just telling them our story and they usually let us like sleep inside in the firehouse 
Um, I mean, the stories, there's an infinite amount of weird places that I've stayed. Um, But from Alaska to here, of course, that's many years later from the America trip. But it's pretty cool. I actually didn't pay not even one time from Alaska to Los Angeles to sleep. Every single night was either camping in Mother Earth for free off the side of the road or couch surfing or meeting people just that night in town. Wow. Let's let's get to the Alaska trip and like feel free to totally refer to, you know, any of the other trips that you've done along the way. But it just sounds I I mean, okay. so start us off like you started where in Alaska and where did you and you ended up in L.A.? Yeah, so this this trip that I'm on, it's not really a trip anymore. It changed about a year ago that I decided to make this lifestyle of daily vlogging on my YouTube channel and traveling and cycling the world. Uh, Kind of a year ago is when that journey started, and that's just how I live my life now. I'm not really on a trip. I don't have an end date. I don't have a job to get to. It's all a part of my lifestyle now. Um, and that happened right after graduating college. So I graduated school in 2016, my YouTube channel in the summer, my YouTube channel at that point just wasn't big enough for me to be confident that I could go and live this nomadic lifestyle living off of YouTube. So I moved to Berkeley, California. I got a, you know, I shared a apartment with people and I got a job in town and I was kind of trying to do the YouTube thing, but getting some money working And thankfully, it just kind of worked out where I only spent six months in Berkeley right after college. And I got to the point where I could, where I did the numbers and I realized if I got rid of my car, rent and lived a very simple life that I could uh, do this full-time traveler lifestyle. So I was in Berkeley for half a year. And since then, it's been almost a year now that I've been uh, traveling the world on my bicycle um and this trip you know there's so many trips that happened in between there but of course we only have an hour or so together and if anyone's curious they can go refer to my youtube channel because i do film a video every single day so you can go watch that but this summer i was uh it was like uh august so maybe six months five months ago whenever that was of 2017 and i was actually crewing for my friend who was riding his road bike from Astoria, Oregon to New York City across the country in 20 days. Whoa! I did did in 80 days. And this is my crazy friend Carson. We have this daily vlog too on my channel, but I was was in the support vehicle, the only support crew member, and he wanted to ride his road bike across America in 20 days on only raw foods. So a raw vegan diet, meaning no rice, beans, nut butters, just bananas, fruits, and veggies and a little like chia seeds and stuff like that. Whoa, did um, he make it? Of course, yeah, we did it. Wow. We averaged, we averaged four hours of sleep a night. He would, <sighs> I, I, I would have to wake him up and get on the bike by four in the morning and he, and then I'd meet him about five times throughout the day with smoothies. So I would, I would drive the van ahead of him, find a little gas station, yeah. park, make a smoothie, wait for him to ride in, feed him, and then drive to the next spot. We just played that game all day for 20 days. And he, he would roll in oh, uh, yeah. by, like, by like 11 p.m. Uh, was when he would end riding. And then we'd sleep for three for four hours, and I'd have to get him up, fed, and on the bike by 4 a.m. But it was that during was- that trip that I decided, I was thinking, huh, what's my next plan? I was going to go to Thailand with some friends, but that fell through. 
And I was like, oh, you know, this is my opportunity to start this epic ride that I've been thinking about for years, going from Alaska all the way to Argentina. And I bought a ticket like two weeks before I flew to Alaska. Wow. Wow, yeah. man. That's so, such an insane story. That's, oh my God. Well, first of all, just how much, what, like, he had to have been looking forward to those smoothies so much on that bike. You know what I mean? Um, <laughs> yeah, for sure. He definitely was always excited. But, you know, after day two, you know, it wasn't really fun for him almost at all. And he knew that going into it. Um, my yeah. buddy Carson had ridden across Canada in 30 days the summer before by himself. Um, so he knew what he was getting into. And this was just a goal for him. We were raising some money for charity. So he was in the mindset that like, this is going to be awesome to accomplish, but it's going to suck while we're doing it. Yeah. And it pretty much, he was pretty much in pain and pretty sad most of the time but there were little glimmers of, of fun for sure yeah. and it was just such a it was such an adrenaline event because we just never stopped like literally yeah. never it was just full on he he averaged 190 miles per day for 20 days wow how what was the hardest section for him which, was which is paint? like the opposite of what i do because i move extremely slowly i travel <laughs> you know 30 to 50 miles a day and i bike for a week or two and then stop for like a month yeah um because i'm doing this just to travel the world not to yeah, yeah. do a race or anything like that yeah definitely wow man so okay so you went up to alaska yeah um, so yeah how much yeah, planning I, I, how much planning was involved like did you just sure. get done with this other event and you're like i'm getting on a plane the beautiful thing about bike touring and why i'm obsessed is there's no planning necessary there is none because <laughs> that and, and there's actually no point if you plan anything it's just not going to go to your plan and you're going to be attached to a schedule that has been broken so there's no it does not serve you to plan so i uh, the only plan, I, I mean, I know how to bike tour. That's what I do. So in terms of the gear, you have to learn how to do that. So you have to plan with a good bike and good panniers or a trailer and good tires and uh, equipment to repair your bike and all of that. But I've been doing that over the last few years, uh, you know, on summer trips during college. I, you know, I biked across a few countries. Um, so I have my bike uh, all ready to go. I have a steel Trek 520. It's a very simple bike. I think it's Trek's oldest model that they really haven't changed because, you know, a road bike and a racing bike, you can always innovate and create something more epic or fast. Uh, you know, now there's electronic shifting, but you don't want any of that fancy technology on a touring bike because when you're up a mountain a hundred miles from any town, you don't want this fancy gear to break. You want the simplest setup possible. So my bike is like bomb proof. All that can happen is my for my chain to break or a uh, tire to pop. But you know, it's a steel bike. The frame will never crack ever. And there's not there's not too many complicated things. So uh yeah, I bought my ticket and in two weeks I you know, after we got to New York, I spent like a week in New York and then I flew to Alaska and all I had planned was for a couch surfing in Alaska that I had set up like a week in advance. So it's something I do very frequently um, is I'll, I'll always plan a couple days in advance wherever I am. If I know I'm going to be biking, I go on the couch surfing or warm showers app and I see if there's any people registered in the 
little towns that I'm passing, most of the time, no, there's not anyone. So I don't have to worry about planning because there's just no planning necessary. And so if I'm in a, a small enough town where there's no one, you just ride all day until you get there and then you see the vibe once it's there. But in Alaska, I had put down, you know, a couch surfing host in, in, in Anchorage and I stayed with her for like two days. And then I just started biking. You know, Alaska and the Yukon are super remote. So I didn't really have much couch surfing. It, I just took it day by day and you just have enough food for a couple days worth. But you usually run into a gas station or a lodge. Although up there was the most remote cycling and touring I'd ever done. I sometimes went three full biking days without the opportunity to purchase something. It was amazing. So I had to be, I was, I, I was really just backpacking on a gravel road, really, uh, up in the Yukon. It was, it was amazing. Yeah. I miss well, it. How, how did it, how did it feel when you got out of Anchorage and you're in essentially the Alaskan wilderness? Yeah. Oh my God. It was, that's a great question. It was really surreal. I had spent the last few months in warm climates. I was in China, America, and Italy for like months uh, up to that trip. So I'd just been living the warm life and I'm a warm person. I, I went to college in Colorado where I had some other crazy backpacking trips where I got some nerve damage through frostbite and stuff on my feet. So I'm, I'm much more comfortable in, in the warm climates, but I also love getting out of my comfort zone. And just the thought of Alaska was the most epic thing I could think of. Like, I'm from L.A., so Alaska is the opposite of that. In Alaska, people hunt animals and live off their own food, and they are in the opposite of a the city. They're in the most remote parts of North America. So I just get so excited about living and experiencing those parts of the world but it was scary. I'll be honest. Yeah. If you, if you, if anyone listening have, has been to Alaska, it's not like any other place, uh, at least that I've been. And I've traveled a lot of parts in the world. The amount of remote space that exists in Alaska is just hard to fathom. Um, and so people are always talking about bears and mountains and everything and you know i rode by a glacier for two days things are just more epic and there's less there's less opportunities to resupply um so i was loving it the first the first few days and it was also not as cold because it was in september so uh I, I i left september 1st from anchorage so the first couple of weeks in alaska and the yukon were were really nice it wasn't until i started getting into like the middle of British Columbia in October where the bears started to come out and the snow started to fall. All the crazy stuff like that sort of happened at this one section in like northern or central British Columbia. And, you know, those are the days that I get most excited for. It's the days when I have to exercise my patience and just surrender to the world and that I voluntarily put myself out here and I just have to hope for the best and not be overly anxious. And most of the time, everything is fine. And you move through the obstacles as I did when obstacles arise. Yeah. Uh, but there were, there were some anxious days. I'll be honest. People just, people fear monger on trips like this. Cause when you're rolling through the thought of riding your bicycle through a place like Alaska or Canada, especially if you've never been there, to the locals, that's just the craziest thing they could ever hear. 
So they just fear monger and say like, oh, well, watch out for the bears. They're the worst in this section or this is the <laughs> most dangerous road you'll hit. And you just have to laugh at that stuff and just hang out with people um, but not be too nervous because, you know, being in the middle of the wilderness or on the side of the Alaska Highway is safer than walking at 10 o'clock at night in East L.A. Like, yeah. it's actually really safe to uh, ride your bicycle in small towns in pretty remote places because there's not much that can go wrong except for animals. And honestly, bears usually don't want anything to do with you either. Uh, yeah. I never had a bear come into my campsite as I was camping on the side of the highway during this trip. I saw a bunch of bears, thankfully, while I was riding, um, and I could ride past them. But, you know, no bear came into my campsite. I slept outside in the woods all the time. Uh, it's all good. Yeah. Yeah, man. Well, you know, and it's funny with the fear mongering because it's like, you realize you kind of want to tell them like you realize I flew all the way up here with all yeah. my equipment. Like I'm gonna do this no matter what. Like yeah, I, I would have definitely appreciate advice. You know, like what is some advice if I happen to run in, run across a bear? You know, but just trying to make you worry about it. That's not really accomplishing a lot. Yeah, people. Uh, when you get out of your comfort zone, people think about it as if they were doing it. And because it's so far out of their comfort zone, they assume that what you're doing is like reckless and dangerous, even though it can be very normal to you. So that's something I've had to realize because it's honestly a weird thing that my whole life, you know, I'm always dressed in something weird. I have like spandex on or, you know, my, and I'm, I'm like covered in tattoos. I'm just like, uh, you know, people ask me lots of questions and I'm always telling people like, yeah, I actually am not from here. I live on my bicycle and it's just constantly blowing people's minds. So I have to, I have to get used to not internalizing any of that fear that people will bring because they're honestly just trying to like help me. No one's trying to actually make you have a bad time. So I always listen to people, but you know, sometimes you just have to take things with a grain of salt when someone says, you know, please let me drive you for the next 10 miles. It's the most dangerous highway, I promise. Yeah. You know, if I took that opportunity every time, I would have biked like half of what I biked in total because I would have been in people's cars all the time. Like you can pretty much, pretty much always do it. Yeah. Well, and part of me sympathizes with uh, those, with people that would do that too, because it's hard, man. Like even out, we, my wife and I moved to Colorado like a year and a half ago. And even since we've moved, we've heard, you know, I'm sure you heard when you're out here for college, but like you hear stories of people who get themselves into trouble in the wilderness or even like there's a trail like 10, 10 miles from my house. And this summer someone got bit by a rattlesnake on there, uh, a ultra runner about my age. And, mm -hmm. you know, so it's, it's hard cause you hear that story once. And I know 20 years from now, I'm still going to be running that trail thinking about yeah. it. Like, I wonder where that guy got yeah. by the rattlesnake, you know? But, you know, that's a part of human evolution. That's good. When we hear a story that brings us fear, we're going to have more added caution around that area. And I don't think that's a problem. That's like a survival mechanism. But also, if one thing happens in one spot, you don't have to assume that it's going to happen to you also. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, if... If, if that was the case, no one would ever get in the car, 
considering all the danger that happens from driving. So, you know, my message is like, don't be stupid. Don't go riding into a, you know, snowstorm about to summit a mountain without a place to stay. Like, that's just dumb. Like, be pretty rational. Um, but yeah, you can't listen to all of the fear. Yeah, definitely. Uh, what was, when you're in Alaska and you're on the highway, and I'm trying to remember what the highway is called. My dad just drove up there last year. Yeah, just uh, the the Alcan, the Alaska Highway. Yeah. So when you're on that and you're kind of, I mean, I'm imagining you're pretty secluded. Um, are you like? I don't know. Was there any moment where you got yourself into a sketchy situation or was it pretty, pretty kind of just regu- like normal the whole time? Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's hard to answer that. I, I personally never once felt like a uh, fear of death or something yeah. like that. Never once, yeah. never even close. <laughs> um, I had constant uncomfortable physical feelings like, Oh, I'm riding down a huge descent and it's 30 degrees Fahrenheit and I'm soaking wet. This, this sucks right now, (laughs) but I know that it's a part of what I asked for, which is to ride your bicycle across very long swaths of mother earth, which is inherently going to be uncomfortable sometimes because weather is gnarly, especially when you're in the North country. So all those things I expected so when I'm getting in those situations, I can be completely calm because I know that's what I asked for. Um, the things that I hope don't happen are like people trying to physically harm me or animals trying to physically harm me um, or having a really bad crash. Those three things I just listed happen to have never happened to me on a bike tour. I've never been in threat by a human. And like, but some of the situations I got into, people watching my YouTube channel, and they're like, oh, my God, how are you, like, okay from what just happened? And I don't know. I Maybe I'm just super gnarly. But, you know, there have definitely been instances where I'll, you know, knock on the door of someone who lives in, like, a RV by the side of a river in the middle of Yukon. And I've stayed with people who have had, like, some gnarly drugs out in the house and things that are probably not the safest communities to hang out with. But even even with, even in all those situations, the people that I've stayed with who maybe struggle with, who are in poverty or, or struggle with alcoholism, you know, I stayed with a lot of First Nations, Indigenous communities in Canada, and every single person has always been so nice to me, and I've never feared that any of those people want to harm me. But if you looked at their living situation, it would feel sketchy to the average person who is more privileged and grew up in more of a a developed city or town or country. Um, Maybe some people would be uncomfortable with it, but I feel just sympathy in those situations because you can read people's energy. I would never sleep in someone's house who offered me in if I didn't get a good vibe from them. So, you know, when you look through my vlogs, yeah, you can see, you know, Kevin's place in the Prophet River First Nation up in the Yukon. And he just had a gnarly house. And I show it on my YouTube channel. He just had pill bottles everywhere. And there was trash all over the place. And he was uh, pretty misogynistic, honestly, speaking to some of the women in his house. And like, the situation you could say was sketchy. But I didn't feel personally 
in danger and I was just there to witness the situation and like gain some life experience and wisdom. And the cool thing is that I'm ready to get on my bike and go whenever I need to. Yeah. So there are instances all the time where someone's like, hey, you want to stay another night? And I'm just like, no, I think I'd rather move on at this one. Keep, uh, keep on my journey. <laughs> yeah. And if, if someone offers me into their home, but I have a sketched out vibe, maybe I just choose to set up my tent in their backyard. Um, but no, like I... I, no one is, no human has ever tried anything sketchy on me. And, you know, I'm about to head into South America and into Mexico, well, Mexico first. Um, and, you know, there's been so much fear mongering about the Mexico thing. And I just talked to someone on my podcast who has actually done the ride that I'm, a, you know, in the middle of doing, but he, he took about three years to go from Argentina uh, up to Alaska. And yeah, he got in a few situations with people never trying to physically harm him but just stealing some of his stuff and look i say if he spent three years across like eight countries and he got robbed like once or twice that's probably within the statistical average of if you're going to put yourself out there traveling full time you know it's not that bad so you you have to be open you have to expect the risks that are present when you're traveling alone and also traveling with your own body as transportation you know you have to control well you can't control the elements but you have to be prepared for the elements and you have to surrender to an to a certain extent that not everything is going to go your way but that's such a beautiful lesson of life because even if you have a nine to five and you get in your car and you drive on your paved streets to your work and then your grocery store and you come home and everything's protected one day something wild is going to happen. Uh, a tree is going to fall on your car or someone is going to hit you in your car. It's not a maybe. Every single person, life gets in the way and unexpected things happen. So instead of living life in fear of your perfect protected world being harmed, I kind of live in this open surrendered state where I'm open to just learning about the teachings of whatever happens. And if everything goes well, that's just icing on the cake. And that's why I live such a grateful, blissed out life, because 99% of the time I am safe and warm and happy. Uh, it's just once in a while, you know, I'll be riding and you see the bear at 6pm at night and you're ready to camp and you're like, Oh, no, there's a bear right here. You have to bike for another hour and then it's dark and you know, that stuff happens. But yeah. those are the nights you remember. The easy nights, you actually don't even remember them. Yeah. So whenever I get into a gnarly situation, I just say to myself, breathe through this, overcome the obstacle, and enjoy as much of it as you can because this is the story you're going to be telling all the time later. You know, everything is in the mind. We're so safe and so protected. Our mind just gets the best of us. Yeah. Um, and that's why I meditate and practice yoga and train my mind, not only my physical body. Yeah. Well, so I, I wrote this down the other day and this you're I mean, you're a perfect example for this. But just uh, the idea of putting yourself through like a self-imposed struggle in hopes that, you know, it's it's a preparation. It's a teacher. So when life actually gets hard, like you said, when something unexpected comes your way, you're able to handle it a lot in a lot more like a lot more healthy way than if you hadn't put yourself through these struggles 
and you know and what obviously yes. putting yourself in a in a bike ride from Alaska to Argentina that's like the most self-imposed struggle you possibly could get and yeah it's great it's just the experience is such a good teacher and you learn so many amazing lessons because of it yeah life is not about succeeding it's about eloquently failing as much as you can because the more eloquent failure you have, like graceful failure, honoring failure as like a teacher, then you're going to become the best version of yourself. If you stew in your own success, uh, that's not that rewarding because odds are you're not going to be the most optimized blossom that you have the potential to be. So, and you know, I keep it real on my channel. I think that one of the reasons why I do impose so much hardship and struggle on my life is because I really do think that struggle is a part of the human DNA recipe that gives you meaning and purpose. And I happen to grow up in an extremely privileged, protected setting where I didn't have a connection with nature. I had no physical struggle. I also grew up in L.A., where you can go outside in shorts and a t-shirt year round. Um, my family is very supportive. I mean, it scares my parents every single day of the lifestyle that I live. They love it and they're very supportive of, of what I do, but it, it must not be easy for them to think that their kid is out on highways by, you know, passing by logging trucks and 18 wheelers all the time on their bike. Yeah. But, you know, I, I did not have too many struggles growing up. And I really believe that one of the many reasons why I live my life now, it's not like every day of my life is difficult. In fact, yeah. I think the opposite. It would be much more difficult if I had a nine to five and was living in a place that didn't serve me. I love what I do. I love living on my bike and traveling the world. But one of the reasons I you know, ride marath run, uh, run marathons and bike across countries is this is the struggle that is so important, I think, to my being that I didn't get growing up. And I needed some struggle in life in order to have meaning, in order to overcome things. It feels good to overcome the mountain. And I didn't have too many, or at least I thought I didn't have too many legitimate mountains growing up. And so I gave them to myself by voluntarily choosing and actually enjoying the process of, yeah, this self-imposed struggle but I think it's a balance because then you can get too far off the spectrum and start to make dangerous, stupid decisions. I never want to be like seen as a reckless, wild person. Everything I do feels really comfortable to me. Um, honoring that you can give yourself struggles without struggles that are going to kill you. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's not about being stupid. Yeah, definitely. Well, so I guess my question about that you're talking about growing up you know not having a lot of a lot of like being comfortable growing up yeah and i just could see a lot of people in your situation like growing up being in the comfort zone pretty much your whole life just staying in the comfort zone so what, most what of my friends that? are are in that in that yeah. situation so what was it about you that made you like actually yeah. understand like I actually need more than this sure um you know I, I've been thinking the last few years about that exact question and of course we'll never know the answer and that's the beauty of life <laughs> yeah. Is we're just, yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we are unique beings and who knows the ancestral programming that's in our minds to create our flow and our path so 
of course I honor that I have no idea, but I have a few, but I have a few, uh, just philosophies and thoughts of potentially what led me to who I am and to break out of that comfort zone. Um, and I think it has to do with my love for animals, to be honest. I grew up, it's definitely within my instinct that I love animals because when I was like four years old, I didn't care about fire trucks, guns, sports. All I cared about was reptiles and amphibians. And that was just from an age where I don't even remember making conscious decisions. So I had just animal, you know, figures and toys and I would read books about animals. And my, I was trying, I was begging my parents in like kindergarten and first grade for me to get a pet snake. I was just, you know, that was like the pinnacle to me to have a snake. It was just so amazing. And it's, I spent like two years until I convinced my mom for my ninth birthday to buy me a pet snake. And we bought this snake in 2001. She was like seven days old. She was like a little worm. Her name is Bill. I didn't know she was a female at the time. And <laughs> Bill actually died only a year ago. I had Bill for 15 years. Wow. Um, she, uh, she was in my life. And I accumulated many more pets during that time between the age of like nine and 13. I honestly turned my room into a zoo. I got, I had a snake, two geckos, two turtles, two birds, a saltwater fish tank, a tarantula. That was my thing. You know, I would come home from school and my, my, my friends knew that I didn't go like to play after school. I had to go home and do like two hours of cleaning, playing, and feeding my <laughs> yeah. pets, and then I can go hang out. It was my full-time job. I literally had a zoo in my room. And that's how I practiced my love for animals, because I was a young kid, and I just assumed I wanted to be around as many of them as possible. But of course, when you grow up with animals, especially in cages in your room, I think the natural progress is to start to think about if this is the best for those animals because I fell so in love with my pets and then every time I'd walk out of my room and go to school or go out with my friends I would just think what are these animals doing when I'm gone and obviously the answer is they're freaked out alone in a weird environment completely out of their natural ecosystem so around the age of uh, 13 is when I started to question what I had done and just the whole concept of our relationship with animals. And that led me to becoming a vegetarian in eighth grade, which I did for like five years before going vegan. And I think that whole concept and that life change that I made of like having all these animals and then realizing that it was super, super wrong and actually the opposite of what yeah. I wanted, which is to love animals, that sort of sent me on this, you know, I wouldn't call myself an anarchist because I actually am pretty into politics and believe in a lot of progressive uh, regulation and, and politics and stuff. But it got me onto the path of questioning what I knew about life. Yeah. And that's really the key about everything that I do is breaking down any paradigm that was told to you by authority or your parents, or your friends and really truly figuring out if it's the right thing for yourself. Yeah. And that relationship with animals where my ideology was just flipped upside down just based on my own experience, I think is when I started to question everything in my life. And I started to question if it was normal that you know my dad would let me buy a $100 jacket on eBay in ninth grade because I thought it'd be cool to go to this party. And like, 
that whole thing I started to question. And then I saw how weird and twisted the concept of being like vain and into materialism as a high school student. And then, you know, my whole world just uh, spiraled in terms of figuring out what is the best, most optimal way to live, just yeah. to live a blissful, but a sustainable life. And I think that's what led me to, yeah, not wanting to continue the lifestyle that maybe I grew up in, not because it's wrong. I don't shame anyone who likes to have the job in LA and get a lot of money and have certain elements of success. You know, that's your own life path. That's fine. I just questioned that it maybe wasn't the most spiritually beneficial path for me. And so in order to figure out what was, I had to go out and try something and fail eloquently, which is what I did on that gap year. I didn't know what I wanted. I just knew it wasn't the path that, uh, you know, would lead uh, with what I'm doing, you know, of, of living an L.A. lifestyle. And I still don't know what's right for me. All I know is in the present moment what is serving me. You know, I think one day maybe I will have a family and live on a fruit farm in Hawaii and settle down and not live on the bike. But there's no point in thinking about that because I know what I want my life to be right now in the present moment. Yeah. And that is what I'm doing. And I honor that it will lead to whatever my divine path, you know, is meant to lead but you don't have to think about it or worry about it as much if you live in the present moment because the path will unfold in perfection if you're living presently. And that's something I've uh, learned over the last few years. So I do my best to, you know, walk my talk and and do it myself. Yeah, man. Well, so you're talking about living in the present moment. And I, I thought about this this morning when I was listening to your conversation with Casey um, I, I've, as an athlete, it's hard because I think a routine, like routine is, can be a good thing. And I think consistency is very powerful, but at the same time, um, if you're stuck in just the same old, same old routine day after day after day, you lose your connection. You, you can lose your connection with the present the present yes. moment and and so jumping out of the of routine because i was thinking about you and i'm like i'm sure he has routines but his life seems to not be a routine and so jumping yeah. out of it almost proves to yourself that you're still in control and that you have power to make decisions and anytime you're doing something new that you you are uncomfortable with that's when you realize like, oh, I, I'm still in control of this. I, you know, I, I can make the decisions that can make me successful or unsuccessful at this, um, which is really cool. Yeah. I mean, I can't agree more with what you just said. And that pertains to my life so much too. <laughs> you know, again, we, we can't get into every element of my story, but, um, eating disorder recovery is also a huge part of the messaging that I talk about. And you can take eating disorders uh, in a line with alcoholism or any like unhealthy self-destructive habit because I had to overcome that in my own life. And, you know, those habits all stem from wanting to exercise control and feeling a lack of control in your life. So you go to these self-harming behaviors in order to feel control, which makes you feel powerful in that moment. But of course, that's not a healthy way to live because we're never in control. 
people are always going to slap you on the face or the breakup's going to happen. You can't control life. You have to surrender to the fact that control is an illusion. So I had to realize that because I was, you know, self-medicating my own ego or heart or mind through this obsessive controlled behavior, like forcing, like controlling all the food that I ate and portion controlling it and only, you know, eating the healthiest stuff and not eating from restaurants and all this control in my life, which of course you need a, you need a kitchen and a car and a grocery store and all of these things in order to work towards feeling good about yourself. And that's how I lived for many years. And I, and it sucks to live that way because it's exhausting to try to overly control anything. And I think a part of the reason, yeah, why I live how I do now where I don't have the choice to control every, anything because it's so open and spontaneous, I'm sort of reliving that mode of life because I spent so many years trying to hyper control and I saw what it did to me. It did not serve me spiritually. I was not in a good place. I did not have great friends. I was isolating myself when I was so obsessed with control. So I think it's true. You know, you're an athlete. We get so obsessed with having our schedule open for our workout plots. And I hope the weather is good on this day. And I hope my ingredients for my smoothies are in my freezer. And then you start to realize that when you're in traffic and there's a bit of traffic, which is a normal thing, no one's trying to harm you, but you start to feel like a victim. Oh, I'm going to be 20 minutes late on my smoothie because this person's in traffic. And then you start to live a life like a crazy person where you're getting angry at things that you shouldn't be getting mad about when you should be living a life of gratitude, not with a bad attitude. So, you know, that was my big rant. I, I, again, I'm pretty opinionated on these topics, but, you know, control and, and schedule can be a good thing. It can feel good. It can bring us comfort because there's also so many crazy things going on in our world. A routine can be good. But I do feel like I have a routine. I film myself every day. I yeah. make my oatmeal in the morning. It's yeah. like I have my routines even though the place that I wake up might be like four different places in one week. I have, you know, I edit and I hang out with my dog and I make my oatmeal and, and I have routines within a pretty adventurous lifestyle, if that makes sense. Yeah, man. Yeah. Well, and, I, you know, to form any good habit, you're going to have to you know, have, have us have certain routines along the Mm -hmm. way. Um, but yeah, man, that's, that's great. And (laughs) you, you said something there. Hold on. I'm trying to remember it. You said turn a bad attitude or no turn gratitude. Or, well, I mean, I guess you could say turn a bad attitude into like a life of gratitude. Um, I thought that would be a good shirt. You know, I was like, you should put that on a shirt. <laughs> Dude, gratitude is the most important thing I've experienced in the world. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm in the vegan and health community. Everyone is talking about their secret smoothie recipe to optimize their performance or this kale salad. And food, it can only get you so far. Food is just a foundation um, the only thing that can actually take you to that next level of living a blissful life and feeling purpose is if you start to try to tune into gratitude. Yeah. And if people are uncomfortable or think that's like too cliche to think about, you just have to try it. And it's going to, you know, the the beauty of it works for itself. It's going to work for everyone. In any situation throughout your day, you have the choice to feel 
less than or anxious about or stressed about a situation, or you could just focus your mind on what you're grateful for in that moment. And if you have access to a podcast, or you have a phone, you have a computer, maybe even you have a job and you have a girlfriend or boyfriend that loves you and you have food in the fridge, if you have just those basic things, which we all take for granted as just like kind of the baseline way people live life here in America, if you have all of those things, you're doing better than 90% of the human beings walking this planet. So when you stub your toe and you have a race next week and you can't race it now because of your stub toe, it's completely out of the question, even though you've spent six months working for it and even bought a plane ticket. If you have water coming out of your faucet, you won. <laughs> yeah. You won. <laughs> and, if you're, and, and if you're so obsessed with your stub toe, you have to look at your ego and say, my ego is so obsessed with itself that it yeah. thinks that my stub toe in this race is the most important thing in the world. But go to your race and start to pan out till you see your community and all the homeless people and then your country and then you zoom out to the world. It's okay. Let yeah. it go. Your race does not value you as a person. You're still beautiful. Life got in the way. And that's a perfect you know, instance where people like me even and probably you and everyone listening has been in that situation where you spend three days pissed about something that a year later you're laughing about because it wasn't a big deal. Yeah. We get so attached in the present moment and that's just the ego doing its work and you know, being overpowering. But you're just you got to step back realize how grateful you are that you got food that you got a partner you can share your feelings life is just as good yeah. did <laughs> and you, i try to live that way did you like did you consciously start thinking about gratitude or is that just something that's always been part of your personality and i guess by that i mean i know there's a lot of advice on keeping gratitude journals i've done it in the past um especially i had a I, I'm a teacher, so I taught at a very stressful middle school for a while. And I remember the first year it was difficult and keeping a gratitude journal in my desk. And I would just be like, this kid did this really nice thing today in the midst of some not so nice stuff. But yeah, so I mean, did you did you actually consciously start that practice or has that always just been a part of you? I definitely learned and then started it uh, later in later in life. I think um, I did not live this way uh, and just live in the energy how I feel every day in life right now. It feels like a new life. Um, I'm not a religious person, but it honestly feels like a rebirth yeah. in terms of the way I wake up and perceive and feel as a living human being compared to like how I did when I was in high school. Um, no, in high school, I had no spiritual practice. We didn't grow up like we had a little religion, but it was mainly just cultural. Like we, I, I didn't have faith or spiritual practice. And I took a lot of things for granted, for sure. Um, and I don't blame myself for that because yeah. that would just be self-harming. You know, it's just how I grew up. It's yeah. the cards that I was dealt. But no, I had I was pissed about things and had anxiety and had some anger growing up. I was never like too rough and too much of a jerk of a kid, but I was not living a life of gratitude. I was focusing on how to make my life better. What could I get? The girlfriend, the clothes, the, you know, be the best skater, just just whatever it was. Um, and it was it was, again, my eating disorder 
journey of trying of having to come to terms that I had let myself spiritually just sink down to this place of such self-loathing um, and hate for myself where to the point where I had to punish through food and through body image. Um, I think it was that journey of trying to destroy my ego enough to be okay with recovering that got me into practicing yoga and then yoga led me to the person I am today. So yoga totally saved my life. Um, I'm a yoga teacher, I guess. I, I went through my certification course, and that's where I learned a lot. I mean, you also learn so much just being a yogi and going to classes and reading on your own. And But it was really in my yoga teacher training, which I did my sophomore year of college while I was in college. It met on the weekends. It was a local studio in Colorado Springs called Pranava Yoga Center. So if anyone listening in the Colorado area, go check out Pranava. If you've never been there, I think if they still have this deal, you get the first week free. But go check out Pranava because it was my sanctuary. It was right by my college, Colorado College. And um, I was, you know, I went into that studio as a 20 year old kid with a pretty bad eating disorder with not many friends. And through a year of being in that community and just going to yoga classes once in a while um, and also doing this teacher training and reading spiritual philosophy books and talking with my friends. You know, I was forced to have this community where we met all weekend and shared about our life. And I was just isolating myself too much and didn't have that support system. So it was that yoga community that just opened up my mind to how I should think about the world. And before you know, it, the most important thing to me was making sure I was lean and a good runner and having my perfect food. And then after my yoga teacher training, I, I just developed different priorities. I didn't yeah. prioritize my body image as much. I prioritized, did I serve another being today? Because in this philosophical book, they said that's a better path to success than feeding your ego. Yeah. So it was these very simple spiritual uh, philosophies that you can probably find in every single religion that I connected with. And it was just a long journey of now, you know, going to festivals and practicing yoga and meditating on my own and eating a very simple diet and exercising and doing volunteer work. Just it all kind of led me to where I am now. And of course, I have so much work to do. My ego is still fully intact. But every day I just do my best yeah. to to chip away at it. And I can say in a, just a couple years of living this way and these practices as a yogi and as a vegan and just like seeing myself as a, a public citizen to love everyone, um, the way I perceive life is dramatically different. It's, it's better than I feel like any drug or uh, title of a career position, like none of that can bring you as much value as if you move through life feeling grateful. It doesn't, yeah, it, it, it makes things so much more enjoyable. I love it, man. And I love, I love the format of a podcast because we were talking about that before the show. Um, but the format, it allows you, you know, if you hear someone say, um, that gratitude is the most powerful thing you can be like, yeah, I, I understand. Like, I mean, I, I conceptually get that, but then to hear your story, just throughout this whole podcast. I mean, you see how it's led you to the person you are today and you see how it develops and evolves over time. And it's really, it's really interesting. So thank you for sharing, man. 
Thank you for asking stimulating questions. Like, as I said, I can just talk forever. So sorry if I took the reins too much, but, uh, no, dude. no it's great. Great no, chatting. I do have a couple, like, uh, I guess. So one of my friends and he hasn't said this like publicly yet, but he wants to do a bike tour, um, coming up. He has this big grand plan. It's going to be pretty awesome. Um, I'm super excited for him, but that being said, he's never done a bike tour before. So, and this isn't one of those things where I'm secretly talking about myself. It's not me. <laughs> but uh, what's uh, what's some advice you would have for somebody on their very first bike tour, where it's gonna be uh, about like a month long journey? Is kind of what he's shooting for. Um. So okay. So supposing they have the gear set up and they don't have too many questions about that um my biggest point of advice would be to don't plan as much (laughs) in terms of the uh mileage and the destinations it becomes very fun weeks before your trip to try to just hack everything and okay, I'm going to ride this many miles and I'm going to be here for sure that day. And the next day I'm going to be here. The next day I'm going to be here so I can hit this event. And it never works out that way. You're going to get flat. You're going to get tired. You're going to meet someone that you want to spend two days with. So if you plan to stay with someone in five days, then you can't live in the present moment and enjoy the beautiful coincidence that came into your life, whether it's a person, a traveler you met up with, a beautiful lake or canyon that you want to spend three days in, if you get so excited about your schedule and organization, it can just throw off the whole thing because then you can't live presently. So honestly, my biggest advice would be uh, build in buffer room for spontaneity. You know, you can also plan things and know where you think you're going to stay, but just try not to be so attached to it and make rooted plans because it just will not serve you as much. Um, another, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think of some other like basic beginner tips. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, That's a good one because the planning can bring about frustration. You know, it's kind of like having yeah. ex- expectations can bring about frustration if you're not meeting those expectations. So exactly. Burn those tip. write down all your expectations <laughs> for your trip or for your awesome. job, write them down and then burn them. Like yeah. it's such a therapeutic activity because it's true. It only gets you into more trouble. Um, I would also recommend, you know, I mean the basic stuff have, have enough tubes or a patch kit for when you get flats, people forget that that's going to happen. Um, I don't know, like nothing, nothing bad can happen. I'm just like, I I don't have that many, that much advice because your trip's just going to be your unique journey of how you uh, roll with it. Uh, But steel is always the king, ride a steel bike. That's a good piece of advice. No one rides steel bikes anymore because now everyone's obsessed with carbon and aluminum, which makes sense if you're racing. But if you're touring, you know, you want the least amount of prop problems. So get yourself some heavy ass steel. I, <laughs> I, I, I carry a lot of weight on my bike. Uh, I mean, less than a lot of people I see touring. But now that I travel with my dog, Maggie, that's a whole new ordeal that I'm about to embark on is bike touring with a dog. So Maggie's going down with you to, 
to Patagonia. Maggie and I are traveling the world, yeah, together. Nice. Um, I love it. I re- yeah, you know, I spent the last year on my bike, and I've been thinking about my next plan. Do I want to try to get a girlfriend to ride with me, friends to ride with me, a dog? And I've been thinking of all those options, and I couldn't find a woman to join me on my adventures, unfortunately, <laughs> although it'll happen someday. Totally. And the totally. next best thing was to rescue a companion animal. So Maggie's been incredible. We spent the month here. Well, it's been like five weeks together now here in LA, staying at my parents' house where I just had her on the bike almost every day. We're either running, biking, uh, doing whatever we're going to be doing on the road. So I've been kind of simulating that life for her and she's just incredible. She's a blue healer. It's a cattle dog. So she just wants to go hard and uh, just seriously just rage every day. Like she'll run a half marathon before she wants to get into the bike trailer for me to pull her. (laughs) She's insane. Um, So, yeah, we're about, uh, you know, today's Tuesday. And on Friday, we're heading out and we're headed towards Tijuana and towards Mexico. Man, I, okay. So first, I want you to let people know where they can follow your journey because I know, I know I'll be definitely tuning in every single day. So, oh, it's awesome. Um, yeah, everything of mine is easy. It's all called Plantriotic. It's like patriotic, but plant. And you can find me my biggest platforms. Number one is my YouTube channel. Yep. That's just my that's my baby right there. I post every single day a vlog of my life, where it's a combination of like just entertaining what I do throughout the day with music and fun drone shots. But every once in a while, you know, I'll make a clip and talk about whatever I'm feeling or doing that day. So um, I think you'll have fun and enjoy that on the vlog. And then I have my podcast, the Plantriotic Podcast. And then also on Instagram, my tag is Plantriotic. Just search Plantriotic on the internet and you'll you'll find all the things that I'm doing. That's awesome, man. Well, best of luck to all that. And I would be absolutely so honored if when you're when you're down in Argentina or whenever you come back up to the U.S., if we could do another show together, that would be that would be awesome. Yeah, and I'll challenge you uh, with the idea of if you're ever following me and you're like, oh, Jackson's in this jungle in Brazil. I've always wanted to go there. Dude, hit me up. I want okay. as many people to join me for a week on the bike or even if it's just, hey, can we get an Airbnb in this town? I've always wanted to take a vacation there. I see you're in the area. We'll go and get a place together and make podcasts and hang out. I want as many people, honestly, anyone listening to this, like, DM me on Instagram. I want as many people to come and enjoy this lifestyle that I'm living. And yeah, if you want to join me for a week at a place with me, just hit me up and see what I say. So I hope to see you before (laughs) I get back from Argentina. I hope to see you somewhere in Central or South America. That rocks, man. All right, man. Well, thanks for coming on the show and we'll have to get back at you. Appreciate it. You're awesome. Thanks for everything you do, inspiring the listeners. It's great stuff. (laughs) Thanks. See you, man. That'll do it for this week's episode of the Like a Bigfoot podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening. Thank you so much for tuning in. I really appreciate it. Um, I've I've learned so much over the last year and a half uh, from doing this podcast and talking to these guests. And like I said before, the guests have ranged from really close friends, some of the closest friends I have in the whole world, to people who are just insane athletes. Um that I've never talked to before. And I've been able to take away so many just amazing lessons from everybody. So thank you. You guys are really help helping me shape the person um, 
I'm becoming today, uh, especially as I as I put my eyes towards bigger and uh, bigger goals, I would say, or new goals, maybe not bigger, but definitely new goals that that are the unknown that we were talking about at the beginning of the show. That is an adventure. I mean, an adventure. I love talking about outdoor adventures where you go out into the mountains or you you know you're exploring the wilderness and all that stuff, but it, that doesn't have to be the sole definition of an adventure. An adventure is just doing something new, trying something that you are completely out of your element in. And and so for everybody, I mean, you can have daily adventures. Do it. It's, it'll help you grow. Adventures help you grow. So once you step outside of that that zone of comfort or, you know, just kind of doing something new, you're going to learn so much about yourself. And you know what, guys? Like, I don't know how long we, we're going to be here on earth so we might as well just learn the most about ourselves right now <laughs> that was like a positive way of saying that <laughs> um but yeah uh so anyways check out jackson's stuff follow his journey i know i am and i will be as he makes his way towards south america and i hope you guys enjoyed the show uh you can support us by following all the like a bigfoot stuff listening to old episodes sharing them with people telling your grandma about them all that fun stuff so anyways uh, you guys rock. I hope you guys have an amazing week and we'll be back next week. Uh, we'll be talking to my friend, uh, Travis Steffen, who's just every time I talk to him, he's been my best friend for like 15, 16 years at this point. And whenever I have him on the podcast, I've had him on a couple times. I always learn something new about him. And I'm like, dude, how am I learning something new about you? We talk a few times a week, but you're just a fascinating guy. So be sure it gets deep. It gets really deep. He's just done a lot of self-reflecting lately, and he's planning on some pretty insane endurance events over the next uh, few years as well. So so yeah, uh, be sure to t- come back next week. If you want to do a little homework, check out the Monument Valleys episode we did. I think it was episode 32. Uh, I just put a video about it on uh, Instagram, and it's the episode where Travis <laughs> ran uh, our Monument Valley 50 miler on zero training, and it just makes you believe that anything is possible. If you can do something that incredibly hard just off sheer will and sheer stubbornness, anything's possible, guys, so go out and do it, and uh Yeah, hope you guys have an adventure this week. We'll get back at you then. See ya.